Welcome everyone to another very exciting episode of the Magic Summit Show and I can say it's going to be very uh, interesting and exciting because our special guest today is none other than Seth Andrews, the host of the Thinking Atheist Show. Welcome. Yay! Hey, thank you for allowing me to sit at the big kids table and talk to you guys. It's good to be oh, here. Oh, your, your, your mo false modesty is outrageous, and that's something that I will come to shortly. <laughs> but in case there is anyone uh, who is not aware of you um, or the uh, Thinking Atheist uh, podcast that you do, let's, let's kick off with that. Um, give, give people a, a thumbnail sketch of your background and, your, um, and the Thinking Atheist show. Well, I was um, a former believer of many years. Um, you could say 30 years, about 10 of that was just me being dormant in the faith. I'd sort of checked out. But if anyone brought God up in a conversation, I said, oh, yeah, I believe in God, you know. Um, but I, I came to a point of critical mass in uh, about 2008 and finally decided I could no longer abide or believe, uh, I mean, you don't really decide what you believe, but I mean, I added up all of the, uh, did the math and realized that I can't reconcile the facts with uh, at least the Abrahamic God, and, and for that matter, any God. And I walked away from my faith, which was very difficult for my devoutly religious family, and feeling mostly isolated and also having skills as I was a, a broadcaster for many years, a Christian radio host at one of the top Christian radio stations in the United States in the 90s. And then a video producer, professional video producer by trade that I continue to be today, I decided to create an online community that would, number one, in video form, help to tackle some of the issues that I had been going through, right? To, to sort of go back and maybe help other people process the questions and the doubts and, the, and whatnot that they were having. And I also wanted to create community. I wanted a place where people could come and belong and not feel like they'd been ostracized by... Uh, their religious cultures and families where they didn't feel like they were crazy. Nobody was pointing a finger at them and calling them baby eater and and malcontent, rudderless, sad, pathetic, uh, you know, devil worshiping, whatever. And uh, that community has grown. In 2011, I uh, started a radio podcast on Blog Talk Radio, and it has grown exponentially to the point where now we have uh, we have a pretty significant audience and it continues to grow and so from video and uh, and radio we've we've kind of hopefully managed to uh give you know a professional type media outlet uh, and, a, and a way for people to connect to uh, to the online non-believing community i i did say that i would not stand for your false modesty um i think um in the conversation we had a couple of days ago you mentioned that um, one of your podcasts that had uh, 300,000 downloads in one month. It's funny. Yeah, that's that's it's actually it was a little more. When I started, we had, I think, a thousand. Um, we had, it was about a thousand listeners in August of 2011. And uh, by January of 2011, that was up to 30,000. By February of 2012, I think that number was well over 100. And it just seems to be really jumping up there and some of it i think your famous, is your fame has extended uh, beyond just podcasts is it not because um you're now a fairly regular speaker at uh, atheist conventions talk us through that well you know my very first time to speak against my faith and it was their scary day <laughs> was at the oklahoma free thought convention in 2011 it was my official coming out right because i'd sort of hidden behind the icon i was still working extensively with churches and trying to figure out how to get the hell out you know 
wondering what the personal and professional repercussions might be. So I, this, the Thinking Atheist was sort of cathartic. It was my way to, to try to be an activist as much as I could without uh, losing everything, or, or at least I feared I might lose everything. But um, after that first speech in Oklahoma in 2011, um, people seem to really respond. And uh, since then, I've been given the opportunity to speak. I've been at the um, uh, was at the Ascent of Atheism Conference, Kentucky, Free Thought, Reason in the Rock, in Little Rock, Arkansas. And it uh, looks like we've got some stuff lining up uh, for 2013, including the American Atheist event in Austin, Texas, in late March. So it's a real privilege. I'm very excited about the opportunity to go. I have to say that um, the majority of the speeches that you've given, I have probably seen because you uh, post them on uh, YouTube. Um, I find your approach very refreshing. You um, come across, in my view, very genuine, and you use humor um, to a good effect. Is, is that um, a, a, a conscious thing that you think that humor is the best way to uh, approach uh, non-believers, to persuade them? Well, yeah, I want my on-stage presentations to be a reflection of my own personality and I'm one of those guys who loves a good laugh um, I think it goes a little deeper than that and, and I this is it's not a short answer but I'll try to shorten it for you I don't want to waste your time but no take as long as you like you're our special when, guest when I first latched on to atheist speeches and websites and whatever videos I could find I found some gems in there you know I found some really good stuff but I found that atheism, and this is true to an extent even today, free thought, skepticism, rationalism, humanism, pro-science media quite often has a communication, a storytelling problem. So what we have, we have all these people who have the knowledge up here, but how do you take that and translate that to an audience, a large audience, who aren't people who aren't just academics, people who aren't just sitting in a, in a lecture hall, who are studying it because they're working on their, their master's or doctorate? But I mean, what about the rest of us who want to be part of the conversation? And um, one of the things I wanted to bring to the free thought community, and I've been desperate to do so, is storytelling, to be able to tell my own story and to help other people tell their own stories and to also tell the story of why... Um, superstitious thinking is is a ridiculous way to live <laughs> and and to put it in a way where it's it's palatable and it's interesting and it's fun to listen to it's a journey it has a beginning it has a middle it has an end you have a destination and so uh, yeah I like to use humor I, I I feel like when I go on stage I want people to have a good time but I also want them to to take whatever is being said personally to feel like, yeah, I can relate to that. Yes, I've been through that kind of persecution. Or yes, um, I get frustrated when I see a theist tell me that the Grand Canyon was created in five minutes by Noah's Ark, you know, by the Great Flood, and, and create relatable moments so that they can engage and feel like, yeah, they're taking the journey with me. And because I'm a communicator and because I've been a broadcaster for so many years, I sort of had a leg up in this field and, and people have responded. And I'm, I'm delighted about that. I think it's amazing. Thunder, I'm going to come to you in one second, um, but could I just remind people this is a call-in show. If you would like to uh, discuss any of the issues that we are going to be raising, and there are many, I can assure you, uh, simply send a Skype contact request to Magic Sandwich Show, all one word, 
Um, include, please, the gist of the topic or the question that you would like to raise. Otherwise, have, no, I say this every week, every two weeks. Otherwise, your request will be ignored. But please, uh, if there's anything you'd like to raise, uh, do come and join us. Thunder, I'm, I, I want to um, come to you now because this is, I know, something that um, you and I have discussed recently, um, which is the future of atheist channels on YouTube and where, where do we take them from here, um, which I think kind of segues in from what Seth was referring to. Thunder. Yeah, well, um, uh, I, I think that uh, we're, we're, we're suffering essentially from a die-off. Um, and it's sort of partly because the actual nature of the media has changed. YouTube's no longer the, um, uh, the community that it was. It's now, um, it seems to be much more quasi-professional media or, or, or nothing, or you know, the quasi-professional media gets the, the lion's share of, of, of the pie, which is why I think you know, the things that Seth's doing is, is absolutely fantastic. And he absolutely bullseyes it when he says that science has a communication problem. Um, is, and, and you're right, you know, people respond to stories. Um, and so you need to be able to um, communicate your science in a way that people will actually understand it. Um, but it, it, it does raise the interesting question that um, if you want to have some uh, effect on what YouTube will look like in a year, you have to um, get a feel for where it's going at the moment. And the way that I see it going at the moment is essentially all of the people who were established um, have essentially given up, not, not, not so much given up, their lives have gone off in different directions and making videos is no longer part of it. And I don't know about the rest of you, but I now look at my inbox and what used to be a, a thriving, bustling video creating community is is now all but gone um, and I don't see that there is currently a mechanism uh, but you know new people to the market don't get, have anywhere near the penetration that the people who were there to begin with have so this presents a real problem that you know, even if we get new people there they're not going to actually you, know, you almost need professional or quasi professional people making the videos now so what's everyone else's thoughts on that? You know, I, I have, like Thunder, and probably you have as well, DPR, seen a lot of people fall off the radar. It's not like they're not around, but they're certainly not as prolific as they were. In my own case, at one point I was producing two high, uh, kind of high impact, and, and in my opinion, involved videos a month, and it sucked my life. I'm not as fast as Thunderfoot. <laughs> you know, that guy can put together a video pretty quickly. And it's got a lot of bells and whistles in it for some reason. I, it takes me longer. The creative process takes me longer. And I found myself buried in the production room. And when you're basically a one-man show and you go for over three years almost nonstop, I've, in my mind, had to, I've had to step back a little bit. I mean, I'm still pretty prolific, but I, even I don't produce videos at the level at the quantity that I used to. My family was suffering. Uh, my, I was burned out. I was tired. I was weary creatively. I just felt 
I just felt like I had nothing left. And that's not a healthy place to be. I mean, I don't want it to own me. You know, I, I want to own my, my position sort of at this moment, at least as the, the franchise player and, and the host the, of the show. At the so, same time, you feel the pressure that if you do slacken off, you're letting people down. And I, I've had, here's a great example. When I first started to post the podcasts in 2011, I would post a version of those on the YouTube page, and I still do. And I'm, I will for a, an undetermined amount of time. I don't know how, if that will always post to YouTube. But the YouTube users freaked. You know, they wanted cartoons. They call them cartoons. The story of Susie and the story of Noah's Ark and all of these fun. Well, you know how long it takes to keyframe all those characters and to layer in all those backgrounds, and you're doing it single-handedly. I don't have a production crew. Plus, they're expensive. And, you know, it was it was draining me physically, mentally, intellectually and financially to put those together where a podcast I was able to connect with people one on one and, and be able to communicate in a long form format, 90 minutes at a clip once a week. And so I began to focus a little bit more on the podcast. And at first they resisted. They hated it. People unsubscribed. But now I've seen a little bit of a shift where now the podcast, in my opinion, are probably the biggest draw. And so maybe it's a, a redefining of, of what we can do and what we're good at. The, the second thing, and I don't know if anyone else noticed this, but about two years ago, YouTube's changed, it changed its format. It, it changed how new videos were posted in the various categories. It used to be there was a religion or activism or news or what have you category, and it would list the top videos posted that day or that week or that month. And you would see Thunderfoot's new video posted in that category, and people could easily see it and identify it from the YouTube homepage. They could just go to whatever category they want. And that began to attract new listeners. They, you were essentially being seen by casual users of YouTube. When they changed the interface, the categories all but disappeared. And my view counts immediately were affected. And so, I mean, I hate to cop out a little bit, but part of me is pissed off at YouTube <laughs> because your interview, because your, your interface has made it harder for, for people who have no idea that we exist to find us. Yeah, it's, it's made it disproportionately harder for people to start out. I mean, I, 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 you're right that for the first probably couple of years, there was that sort of front page. And I think uh, the majority of us who did w well early on did so because, y you know, if you did well, you got onto the front page and people would see it. Now it's um, that there is no mechanism for organic growth like that. We used to have a little thumbnail billboard. You know, if you had some a good hit count in the first 12 hours of a new video coming out, you would have your name and your channel name and your icon up there, and people anywhere in that category would probably stumble across you. And now you have to almost type in the thinking atheist or Thunderfoot or what have you into a keyword search and hope that YouTube pulls it up in the first five or six selections. And that, it frustrates me quite a bit. I feel like it, it limits a little bit of how we can bring in you know, new new audience members, new viewers, people who new fresh voices and faces and eyes and ears to the conversation. Yeah, I, I've been thinking about uh, ways that we could do this. Um, you know, like maybe running some sort of competition. Um, but I'm I'm sort of torn as to whether this is uh, you know bolting the stable door. Or closing the stable door after the horse has bolted. I mean, have we actually crossed this tipping point where, yeah, even if we had money to throw at the problem, 
that we couldn't actually do anything. I mean, if we did organize a, a competition. So what we really want is people who produce, you know, good videos on a semi-regular basis, maybe once a month or something. So my, my vision would be something like you have a competition where um, someone submits their three best videos they produced over the last three months. And the guy who wins out on that actually you know, wins a prize or something. Or, or we promote them as best as we can, which, um, again, um, I, I think we have a diminishing ability to do. But um, that's almost the only thing that I can see that we can do to get um, meaningful uh, life back into the community. Since um, we've been aware of YouTube, since we've been contributing to it, um, there have been uh, theists that we have been responding to. Um, I'm thinking in particular of the likes of uh, Kent Hovind, uh, Benefang X and the like. Their arguments do not change and they do not get any better and they have been debunked by brilliant people including yourself Thunderfoot and um, the likes of Extant Dodo, uh, Don Exodus, uh, uh, and the like. It's, is it is it not uh, arguable that we just don't have any new material to work with because their redundant arguments never get any better and they have been utterly debunked? Sir? Well, I see the frustration with the issue that, you know, science comes up with something new, something that challenges us every single day, every single minute of every single day, it seems, where religion is, hasn't really given us anything new to talk about in 2,000 years. And you know, it's funny, I uh, even in the podcast have, and nobody freak out, but I, I have entertained in the future just because I myself, I feel like I can only talk about religion so much. I've thought about, do I, what do I do with the radio podcast? Do I expand it so that we can talk about something else? Uh, you know, it's funny, on Tuesday I'm doing a show called Totally Off the Subject, just for variety, where we can talk about something else, because... You know, yes, the Bible is the, yes, there are atrocities in the Bible, and yes, there are incongruencies in the Bible, and yes, most people don't know what they believe, and yes, this argument, yes, no, Hitler was not a Christian, or was not an atheist, those types of things. And, uh, and I grow weary of it. But at the same time, I think there are always going to be stories to tell that are relevant to our culture, and I think a good ex example of that was the Malala Yousafzai story where she was shot by the Taliban, survived and continues to be a hero to a great many of us. I told her story in video form. I just called it Malala. And it, it moved people. Now, I, I don't know what that translates into, but I thought it was relevant and it was a little bit different than uh, the Bible is ridiculous. It's our culture must change. Our world must change. Uh, you know, the uh, oppressive uh, just horrific deeds of the Taliban must be quelled. And so I think there will always be stories for, for us to tell, but it is going to be a challenge. Religion has nothing. I, I tell you, I, I was on a, a Facebook thread with someone earlier this week, and I was challenging the um, after the school shooting. It was prayers and prayers to the families and prayers to this and prayers to that. And, and I, I'm normally pretty selective about when I engage. And I, the whole time I'm like, you you are praying to the same deity that did nothing and said omnipotent, omnipotent with a blink of his eye could have pre 
prevented the whole thing, does nothing. And now you are praying to that same deity to come down and pat everyone on the head and wipe their tears. <laughs> you know, And they say, well, you know, it gives me hope. Well, the gives me hope argument is like every other argument. You know, you have to believe in something or uh, what started the Big Bang or how do you have morals without God or whatever. I mean, they all are like a broken record. Those are always going to be out there. And it's going to be a challenge to try to keep that the conversation fresh. Yes, um, but you have kind of segued, I think, uh, cunningly into one of the topics that uh, we uh, had decided that we were going to discuss, and that is the uh, recent um, hideous slaughter of children and teachers uh, in Newtown, Connecticut. We all have sympathy for those that uh, suffered and lost friends and family as a result, but there is another element to it which I want to discuss, and that is one that seems to be one that Americans don't actually like talking about. Why not ban guns? Now, before I ask you to address this point, Seth, I appreciate that the right to bear arms is part of the Constitution. I also admit that there is a different culture here uh, in this country than there is in America. But the fact that there's a different culture should not be an obstacle to change because otherwise you'd still have slavery you'd still have uh, buses with um, segregation for black people and uh, non-black people in this country on average over the last couple of years there have been 50 uh, homicides fire firearm homicides in america over the last couple of years it's eight eight nine thousand that's a factor of 160 difference between us. Now, you can't ignore that. And nor can you ignore the fact that if you didn't have guns, no one would be shot. Over to you, sir. No, I absolutely don't ignore it. Now, I'll take issue with the, uh, the assertion that we don't want to talk about it here in the United States. Trust me, everybody wants to talk about it. <laughs> Few people are listening. I think that's probably the, the larger challenge. I think people are, you know, you've got the, the pro-gun people who are, uh, they're all wailing and, and clamoring, and, and I'm a licensed gun owner myself, so, so don't get me wrong. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying that I, I'm necessarily uh, not sympathetic to many of the, of the positions that they take. But, you know, then you've got the anti-gun people, and they're freaked out, saying something must be done, and everybody's shouting at each other. Everybody's talking, and there's nobody's listening. And this happens after there is a, an incident or um, of any, really any scale, you know, uh, throughout the United States and around the world. And I think it's something that should be discussed. I, I think we have to have discourse and, and try to understand the root problems. How does this happen? How does someone get to the point where, you know, the massacre of kindergartners is to them something that is acceptable and that they can carry out? And how can we... If we, you know, how can we spot them early and how can we prevent it? You seem to be avoiding the elephant in the room. Yes, there are certain things that could be done. But one of them Look, is banning guns. Why you, are, you, are never, you are never going to get guns out of the United States. It, it, is, the, it is that elephant, that 800-pound gorilla, rather, is, that's out of the cage. It is not an option. If you were, even if you were, even if I were to, to say, look, I'm against the owning of guns, and, and I'm really not. I mean, I'm not, 
I'm not for assault rifles. I'm talking about pistols and shotguns and whatnot. I own, a, I own an MP9 myself. I'm a law-abiding, licensed, accountable gun owner. And fully 47 to 50% of all households in the United States have guns in them. What I'm more, and, and you don't read about blood in the streets. I mean, you do, if you look at the sheer numbers of citizens of the United States, with the 300 million plus or what have you, well, honestly, if the gun was the problem and almost half of all homes have guns in them, it would be the wild, wild west out there. Oklahoma just passed an open carry law, which makes it legal with license to actually pack a pistol on your hip, a law I'm against, by the way. Uh, so... I myself am not convinced that the, the, the weapon is, what is at fault here? I want to know about the intent to do harm. Okay. I'm, more interested about, I'm more interested in the person behind the instrument. You know, there was a guy in China who slashed 22 school children last week. And are you going to ban the knife? Let's oh, find out what on. caused him to in do England, what he did. In England, yes. Please answer this question, though, Seth, before I come to you, Thunder. Um, tell us, Seth, why, why do you have a gun? I shoot for recreation, and I also I also have a gun for home protection. Not that I, I mean, I don't really worry about it too much in my neighborhood, but but I I enjoy having a pistol. I I go out and shoot at the range from time to time, and and honestly, and and I'll say this without apology, and I know it's unpopular with many people. There, it's the same people who say that war is always wrong, which is a, a beautiful sentiment in a utopian world, right? Choose make love, not war, right? Never choose war. Well, the truth of it is, is that if if you are ever accosted by a rogue element, sometimes you have to, you're going to have to do what it takes to protect yourself. Now, I'm not talking, don't, don't segue me into the, the uh, ill-advised or, or ill-gotten uh, military conflicts the United States has gotten itself into. What I'm talking about is if someone broke into my house tonight and they threatened, they put in danger my life, the life of my family, and my property. I will do whatever it takes to defend it, period, without apology. I won't worry about whether or not he was a troubled child. I won't worry about whether or not he had uh, uh, he was bullied as a, as a youth. I won't worry about whether or not he's mentally... I mean, quite frankly, the number one concern I have is if someone breaks into my home is to protect my life, the life of my family, and my property, and I will use deadly force to do so if I must. Thunder. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think you've got to bear in mind uh, that, well, this is obviously a very uniquely American issue, and so you need to actually have a bit of an understanding of of why America is the way it is, and as far as I understand it, and you can uh, yeah, cut in if you uh, think I get anything wrong here, sir, but there are three principal arguments of gun ownership. Um, the first one is essentially just historical that, you know, when it was the Wild Wild West, the gun was, uh, it was the symbol of, uh, you know, the, the Americans, the can-do spirit conquering the Wild West. It's The gun was what kept you safe from the cougars and the grizzlies. It's, it's what shot the elk to keep your family um, well fed. Um, and I, I've got no problem with that. That's uh, But that, that's more an argument for owning hunting weapons like um, rifles and the such like. Uh, then you get the, the self-defense, which you sort of uh, brought up. And uh, for me, the, the self-defense one is, is a strange one because it's essentially saying that you have no faith 
in the police or diminished faith in the police. No, no, um, I don't think that's what it means. I'm sorry, I'll let you finish. Forgive me, forgive me, but let uh, me come back to that. Sure. Um, If you actually have, if you live in a civilized country where you have the rule of law, then you don't need um, essentially, uh, I, I, I see this sort of, I, I would call it almost vigilante-style justice. Um, now, I know that's culturally not American, uh, but the, the way that I, I see it is um, it, it's almost born out of a fear of things that don't happen. Now, I, I accept what you, your, your point, what you were saying earlier. If you actually take a look at the number of guns in America and how many people those guns on average kill, it's infinitesimally small. It's not something you should greatly worry about. However, likewise, if you take a look at the number of times where people actually have their house broken into and are threatened by firearms, it's equally insignificant. It's not something that you should really worry about or... Um, um, base your your lifestyle on. And let me just go on to the third one, and then I'll let you come back to the second point. The third one is constitutional, which is arguably the only one that really counts. And that comes out of America being formed out of this um, uh, war of independence, which was essentially over sort of draconian English tyrants and their tax laws. And seeing as the, the country was born out of this uh, war of independence against tyrants, the last thing that you wanted was uh, to find yourself under another tyrant. So the Second Amendment uh, served two roles. The first was um, that it allowed the citizenry to carry arms to form militias to rise up against either um, invading armies or the, uh, your own government should it become corrupt. Um, and that, I think, is the prime reason that you know, the Second Amendment is the one that people usually hold up for their right to bear arms. But, you, you know, it, it's almost redundant now is the Second Amendment because, you know, you have nuclear submarines, drones, tanks and, and whatever. The idea that you can form militias that will actually have any significance here is is completely outdated. Similarly, you you can't fight against your own government now with with guns. Well, Thunder and I actually have a, a lot of common ground here. He's absolutely right when he is that people like to brandish the Second Amendment, right? And uh, we're ready. It's an, it's a nation by the people for the people, and we if we ever have to rise up, you know, we will be ready. You know, you can have my gun when you pry it out of my cold dead finger. That culture is not only alive and well, but it is thriving. He's absolutely right about that. Um, I think some people own weapons because they can, because they fear that it will not be available to them in their life. They're responsible gun owners. And yes, I know many people hate that terminology, but I mean, they are. They, they teach gun safety. They teach a healthy respect for the weapon and they shoot for recreation and they, they do it right. Uh, where I think Thunder and I stand apart is that I don't uh, I don't see it as a lack of faith in the police. Look, if you are in immediate danger, you call 911. But by the time the police arrived, there's a very good chance the crime scene already exists. And this is a way for people to take personal responsibility for their own protection. And I think 
largely that's a valid one. I mean, you'll find your cowboys, but the truth of it is, is that, you know, you people should, I don't think people should have to, should feel like they have to apologize for taking control of their own right to protect themselves and their families if they're in a crisis situation. There was a, can I, and I also don't think. I raise this issue because I think it, it, it's one that I, I, I think is interesting. Um, in this country, we have a um, right of self-defense. Um, and the law is effectively that you can use such force that is reasonable in the circumstances uh, to defend yourself, to defend property, and defend others. Well, what I have an issue with, I guess, is that um, someone comes at me with a stick and I shoot them. Is that reasonable force? No. Well, I think you have to qualify. You have to go deeper. You know, how big is this? Is it lethal force? Are they in your home? Uh, are they? Are, are you in danger? I'm not talking about you're walking down the street and you see somebody brandishing a twig. I mean, honestly, it's an extremely complex issue, and it's not one we're going to solve, I think, with any one with any one approach. But the other um, the other challenge that I have is is that let's say you ban guns, okay? Well, what, there's 250 million firearms in the United States, something like that. Well, now you're talking about a door-to-door, -door, right? Now you're talking about agents of the, of the government that, you know, alcohol, tobacco, and firearms, or who have, whoever. Now we're going door-to-door. -door. What are you going to do? You're going to do searches of the home? Uh, uh, come on. And if uh, only uh, the law on, abiding... Sir. Now, hang on. Now, if only the law-abiding say, all right, fine, I'm going to go by the letter of the law, here's my weapon. Now, essentially, you've disarmed the people who are actually the safest ones to own weapons and the people who are rogue, who are uh, unlicensed, who are criminals. They, so they're not going to show up and trade those things in for coupons or what have you. They're going to hold on, on to their firearms. Congratulations, you've just disarmed the law-abiding and responsible section of America. But if your police force is armed, then um, yeah, I'm I'm not so sure that you know if if you were to take a look at the fraction, um, what um, amount of um, shootings would be prevented by people carrying guns? In other words, you not only need to carry the gun, but you need to kill the guy before he kills you, sort of, or, or shoot him before he shoots you. Um, yeah, well, I, I not mean, a lot of times it's not even shooting or it's not even killing or wounding. Trust me, a, ro a, a rogue element, a criminal or what have you, is a whole lot less likely to come at you if there's a gun in the home. I was reading a story, I think it was in Texas this last month, somebody shot in the air. I mean, they shot the pistol and the, and the assailant ran off. We had a lady in Oklahoma, some guy, two guys broke into her house, were breaking into her house. She called 911. She's there with her infant baby. She says, look, can I shoot the guy? He busts in and she shoots him, saves her own life. The other guy runs off and is caught. Now, I realize these don't happen in every city every day, but to say that it's insignificant that uh, weapons are used for home protection by lawful, law-abiding, and responsible gun owners, I think is irresponsible. They're used quite often and in legitimate ways. Some, uh, you know, sort of poor black women were shoplifting at Walmart, and the um, the whatever the mall cop essentially, he, well, he claimed his life was in danger, but um, you know, uh, 
he shoots you know one of these women dead. Um, I mean, so for, for shoplifting. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm not denying these these circumstances exist, and I think it's a byproduct of a culture that's saturated with weapons. It, you know, you're going to get the bad with the good. Trust me, I, I'm not saying it's not a real problem. Mm. But let's let's look at let from this perspective. You're going to ban guns. Are you willing to go into homes and search them, each no, and I every mean, home, to make sure that all guns are surrendered and destroyed? Now that one, um, I, I think, is largely peripheral in that um, what you need is essentially the statement of intent, right? Of course, you're not going to get it all in one go. This would be a, a gargantuan task um, uh, of uh, a huge magnitude. Um, but you would start off obviously by saying, uh, "We will have an amnesty. Hand in your guns." Um, and that 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 gets rid of maybe I don't know eight out of ten guns in America. Um, then uh, actually no, uh, the uh, the people who really like their guns won't hand them in. Um, but you know if you if you've got rid of seventy percent of them to begin with, then it's just a matter of you know as these people get old. Um, and uh, you know, die of natural causes. The guns will essentially be bled out of the society. Um, so I don't think you need to uh, hugely criminalise people for still owning guns. But I mean, you and I know that um, the state, the statement of intent, the intent, just the will to do it, isn't there in America. And what I think it's mostly a matter of perception. Um, that people um, don't perceive uh, the danger of guns. Now, you're quite right when you say that, you know, competent, sane uh, people can handle guns and do so every day of their life, and it, it's not a problem. But the same could also be said of, say, a nerve agent. Right. So, if uh, you know, if you were looking at self-defense, is there any difference between, say, for instance, legalizing spray cans that contain sarin, you know, like a mace spray or something, or a handgun? I, mean, well, if, I lost if you, part of it there. I lost part of it. But if look, if someone was to, if if I was ever home and a, a rogue element broke in, I would use almost anything. At my disposal, <laughs> you know what I'm saying. I mean, if it didn't, it didn't harm my family, and, and I mean, if the consequences weren't counterproductive, uh, I'm not. I'm more in concerned about the intent to kill. Now, obviously, you have, I think, a rather utopian view of of how a roundup of of weapons would go. People would automatically, at at the order of seventy or eighty percent, say, "Ah, yeah, kumbaya. Here's my weapon. Please take it." I know I have amnesty. Thank you for my amnesty. It is much appreciated. And, and then they'll go. And then the rest of the guns will simply filter out of the system over time. Well, I think that's a tremendously utopian view. You're going uh, to see... You say that, Seth. I'm not entirely sure it is. But can I just say this? Uh, I, I know that many people have sent contact requests. I've already got three people lined up. Uh, I, I'm going to try, if I can, to move the conversation on. If you do want to talk about uh, gun control, uh, then please feel free to do so but i i think we've been on air for about we've have we beaten a dead horse yeah <laughs> the, the, the horse is dead how how much further we're going to be able to I, I do want to finish though by saying that i i completely understand 
the concerns. What, what my I think my difference is I I I worry that we live in a culture of symptom-based problem solving where where you only look at the symptoms and not the root cause when i look at the the shooting at the elementary school my first question isn't what kind of a weapon did he use my first question is what what spurred what created the mentality behind the intent to do harm and if he'd walk in with a molotov cocktail or if he'd walked in with a machete or what have you my number one question is how does this mind how do we better understand mental illness how do we better prevent this, keep our kids safe from this type of rogue behavior? Because damage can be done, lethal damage can be done in, a, in an unbelievable number of ways. Yes, and I, I think we should get accept, to the root. I fully accept that argument, but unfortunately, I, you, I think you also have to accept the point that the fact is that, that having a gun makes it very much easier. And one of the links that I think um, one of the, our viewers, um, Jay, has, has posted um, she sent it to me earlier, and it's from Save the Children, and it lists all sorts of things that you must look out for in, in children, and it's just banal. Oh, don't let them have too much television time. I'm reading it, but, you know, listen to your children carefully. Give children reassurance. Be alert for significant changes in their behavior. Understand what children want. And, where in that list of 10 things does it say, don't let them have access to a gun? I, I want Thunderfoot, if, if possible, I know he wants to respond, but I'd like your indulgence to read something that I posted on my Facebook page yesterday to sort of maybe cap off where I'm at. Give Would us that be all right? a it, and I'll also include it in the link to the description of the video when it's posted on YouTube. I'm sorry, Thunder, uh, did you, I didn't mean to jump on top of what you were saying. Yeah, uh, so, so briefly, uh, it's just a point that guns are enablers like this that if you obviously strip guns out of, of society, then, or, yeah, or if guns aren't present, then it's actually very difficult for people to kill each other. Yeah, there, there are all the psychological, I mean, you're right that normal people don't act like this, right? Normal people don't try and kill children, right? Um, so that's, I, I think you're right, is, is the primary problem. Um, but, Guns reduce the barrier for people to kill other people. Um, other than that, uh, if you see someone unconscious, uh, yeah, there are all sorts of psychological mechanisms that actually prevent you from killing someone who is unconscious or, or, or babies that can't fight back. Uh, that there are all sorts of, of psychological mechanisms that prevent you from doing that. Um, but with a gun... Um, all you have to do is squeeze the trigger. So it, it I reduces... I received that point. I mean, I, I honestly, it is a more efficient way to kill. I mean, it, it must be acknowledged that that is absolutely true. And in the hands of someone who is mentally ill, they will do more damage with, um, you know, with uh, an AR-15, obviously, than they would with a, with a pocket knife. That's absolutely certain. Stefan, welcome to the show. Yeah, can you hear me? Yes. Okay, wonderful. <laughs> so, uh, wait, let me... Can you see me? Yeah. Don't worry about that, we can hear you perfectly. Okay. You got what uh, you got for us. Yeah, my question is, um, 
now that uh, maybe the world will not end next week, so we can talk about 2013. Um, and my question was, what do you hope or what do you expect realistically the atheist, atheist movement to achieve in the next year? Sir? Well, I always enjoy end-of-the-world predictions because they, you know, I heard uh, Thunderfoot say once that Harold Camping was a gift. When we remember Harold Camping's predictions for the uh, the rapture coming, right? And and he's absolutely right. You know, these end-of-the-world predictions and the panic and the craziness are a gift. What astounds me is the sheep, the sheeple continue to, to go into panic mode. I was reading a, a story the other day about how people are stockpiling food and and every you know they're they're actually worried about this kind of thing i'm excited about 2013 not in a hopefully not in kind of a bumper sticker kind of way i have a few concerns um but i think we are seeing you know it was on it was this weekend or, or it was yesterday one year ago that we lost christopher hitchens and um and yet we continue to see forward strides for rationality and for free thought. Uh, and I think 2013 is going to continue that. I think more and more people are going to be part of the conversation, even if they're not, even those who aren't listening are going to have to, they're going to hear, it's going to be on, <laughs> it's going to be around them. And hopefully it will begin to knock down that bubble that they've placed themselves in. It will help to maybe one day penetrate the cocoon that they're in and get them into the conversation. I'm excited about 2013 for that reason. I'm I'm a little nervous because I don't know if everyone has noticed there are so many now there's so many conferences and conventions happening it used to be there were a couple of major ones every year but now you're seeing little pockets these little mini conferences and they're by the dozens and dozens all around the country and I'm excited for that on a local level I think it's awesome my I'm nervous that will it lose its luster will people then say, ah, oh, come on, it's just another free thought event, don't bother. Will it become yesterday's news for free thinkers to get together? I don't know, I'd be curious to hear my, my host's view on that. Well, uh, this is something that we did briefly touch upon before we went live, and I know that Thunder also um, has opinions that he would like to uh, express. In, in, from my point of view, um, it sounds awfully disrespectful to the speakers that you... Uh, here at these conferences, but in general, I think it is accurate to say I've heard it all before. Now, I attended uh, a DC uh, where I had the pleasure of meeting, amongst other people, yourself, uh, Seth, and I was very excited by the fact that I was going to listen to Lawrence Krauss uh, live for an hour, and I walked out after about 10 minutes because it was literally word for word exactly what I had already seen many times on YouTube. There's nothing new, nothing novel. Um, there were other speakers there that I just simply couldn't be bothered uh, listening to. Even Dawkins himself, I think I only was uh, in the lecture hall for about five minutes because the message is just the same and we have heard it all before. It's boring, it's uninteresting. What excites me about this sort of event um, is meeting people that you wouldn't otherwise have ever met had it not been for the internet and YouTube. That's what excites me. Meeting you, meeting, uh, well, I'm not going to name them because if I miss someone out, they'll feel uh, slighted by it. But that's what excites me. Listening to the lectures, no. And most of these people, I have to say, are probably there because they're trying to sell a book. Thunder. 
I agree with almost everything DPR said. That you know, for people like us who have heard it all before, um, especially these talks, um, which do suffer from a lot of uh, repetition. But you know, I, I think the uh, for a lot of people um, there, you know, Seth's views are probably more relevant here. You know, I I'm at universities almost all of the time surrounded by essentially a 100% free-thinking atheist-type community, right? Most of the people who go to these conferences are people from Seth's world, where they are the the lone atheist, you know, surrounded. It's, it's like being gay, or, or it's like being gay 20 years ago, when it was... Um, you know, it was something that y you felt was the, the the right thing. It felt you felt it's who you were, but you couldn't really tell anyone about it. And you do get this very the, this sensation when you go to these conferences that there are these people there who just it's such a relief to go to these conferences where um, everyone is you know, that they, they can finally say what they think about religion. They don't have to hide it anymore. Um, so what are your thoughts on that, sir? You know, I, um, I have two thoughts. The first is, is that I'd like to address the repetition from the speaker's point of view. I feel like, I feel a tremendous sense of sure. Because when I spoke at Oklahoma State University. I wrote a specific speech for that. And those take, uh, to do them right, really take a lot of time and care. And if you're doing what I do and you add 70 visuals, custom visuals <laughs> for the PowerPoint, on top of everything else the Thinking Atheist community is doing and my real job and my family, that video goes on YouTube. Now the jig is up. Every, everybody has access to it. I feel a personal sense of responsibility when I go to my next event at Oklahoma City University or I go to the Ascent of Atheism in Denver, Colorado or I go to the American Atheist Conference to bring a fresh batch of material, a completely new 45 to 50 minutes of material stocked with good information, sourced information, high quality visuals, maybe a new video. Well, if you're doing five, six, seven of these a year, I don't think it's sustainable. I myself can't I, I keep up. You're unfair on yourself, to be honest, because I think that that probably is the amount that you are doing. And I think that every one that you do, you do spend the effort uh, of producing something new, novel, interesting, witty. Uh, it's hardly practical. I will say that it's very impractical. That, that, that's a different point. But do please, I told you I would not uh, have this false modesty. I think your speeches are wonderful. And the only other person I would really say um, comes up with new material every time he speaks. Uh, he's not everyone's favourite person at the moment. Um, but PC Myers always—you you never know what you're going to get with PZ. Um, I happen to think yours are more entertaining, but um, don't please false modesty. I'm not having it. Uh, your lectures are very good, and uh, I think uh, that the time that you obviously spend uh, in preparing them is it, it reflects in the quality of them. As the as the community grows, and as I continue to do what I do, and and as I continue to try to do a better job of of committing my to have a personal life, 
I don't, I don't want Natalie and my family suffering for or the fact that they're eating dinner by themselves every night because I'm holed up in the production room or, or working on a, a project or speech or book or what have you. It's, it's not the kind of family I want. I, I want to have a life. Um, and so I'm going to repeat less and less probably in 2013, or maybe a little more rather. I will have less and less as far as all original material, but I'm always going to try to mix it up and to have something there for everyone. Uh, the American Atheist Convention, I honestly will be seeing a lot of people who may not have a clue who I am, who've never been to the Thinking Atheist website, because many who have gone to the American Atheist, I've never spoken there, I haven't really been on their radar, and I may I may use some material that I've used in the past that I know is solid and resonates with audiences, and, and if it's, you know, and hopefully those who've heard it before will, will still be in, engaged and entertained by it. But, but the second point I, I wanted to make, I'm sorry, Thunder, go ahead. Uh, yeah, and I, um, I think that uh, you're unnecessarily uh, apologetic here in that of the audience, yeah, me and DPR, right, I, I'm pretty much on board with everything that DPR says, but I'm not the average guy in the audience. I would guess, um, I don't know for certain, that probably, you know, eight out of ten of the audience I won't have heard your talk before. So well, you know, in, in does, that sense, you know... It, do it, the it, followers it, of A.C. Grayling know who I am? I, I just don't think so. You know, and, and I saw some... I produced the promo for the event, and as I saw the names there, I thought, do the, the followers of these people, do their circles really interact with my circles? I don't know. Well, uh, uh, let, let, let's play the reciprocation game. How many of the people on that list uh, of the attendees had you heard of. Maybe not best to say this online, but uh, you know, I looked down the list and you know, there's probably at least 30% I've never heard of. There were a few, or, yeah. Or, you know, if, if I had heard of them, I wouldn't know what they looked like, and if I didn't know what they looked like, I wouldn't be able to tell you what they've actually done. I lost so, the last I mean, part of what you said, forgive me. Uh, even if I knew what they looked like, I wouldn't really know what they've done. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm interested. I, I'm acutely aware that Stefan's been very quiet. Um, and <laughs> the criticism that we've had. I have one more thing. I, I have to say this last thing. Steph, forgive me. Please go ahead, and then we'll go back to you, Stefan. Forgive me, Stefan. Forgive me. I, I, I'm not trying to, to suffocate your call. But, but on the issue of these conferences and conventions, I was at... Um, the Kentucky Free Thought Convention, they were kind enough to ask me to come out. And a woman came out who, she's a mom, probably 40, drove herself three, three and a half miles just to be there. She came one. She just came by herself. She was a relatively new apostate. She came because she ached to be a part of something and be around people who didn't think she was crazy. And she was there because she was fill, kind of filling up her tank. It was more than just who the speakers were. It was what you, DPR and Thunder, I think, talked about. It was relational. I want to be around people who get me. I want to shake hands with people. I want to have conversations with people. I want to have some connection. If I may, and I said we'll go back to Stefan, but I think it's a very crucial um, point, uh, and I apologize for interrupting you, Seth. I no, think the difference, the difference between Thunder and myself is this. In, in this country, religion is a background noise. Uh, if you come out openly as an atheist, no one gives a flying family show. Um, <laughs> in America, it's totally different. 
people lose their jobs by saying they're atheists. So I fully understand that this, these sorts of uh, conventions and town meetings and the like can be a wonderful um, opportunity for them to appreciate they're not alone. They, they, there are kindred spirits and like-minded people. Um, but as I say, for Thunder and I, it, it, it doesn't resonate because it's not an issue for us. Stefan, shall we go back to you? Okay, me again. Thank you. <laughs> um, I, I think what you're saying is like it's the same thing over and over again, and it's nothing new. But I agree with Thunderfoot. Like Thunderfoot is not the the normal guy who who the who Thunderfoot's not a normal who, who guy. Who the, what I can guarantee you, he's not a normal guy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sorry. Um, he's, he's not uh, maybe the target audience. I think when the when our movement is growing, every day someone new is listening to the Thinking Atheist podcast who has never heard anything about atheism, atheism before. And for them, it is important. So it doesn't matter if, if you're repeating yourself because for them, it's it's something new they, ha they have never heard about. I, I, totally agree, I totally agree with you, Stefan. I think the problem that um, we were just sort of like discussing earlier was more um, keeping up the momentum to do or, or make videos and do the podcast when effectively we feel as if we are just repeating the same message. I, I have not made a video on YouTube for some time. And the reason, well, I've got part five of God is not good. Slacker! But the reason is because I don't, I don't think I've got anything novel to say or a way of saying it in a in a novel manner that's that's for me what the issue is and, and again it goes back in my view to the fact that the arguments that we're dealing with have not changed as Seth, Seth has said but they have they've not changed for 2,000 years and they've been utterly re, uh, refuted uh, debunked and whatever how <sighs> yeah but there was even a, even for you there was a time when you choose to make videos because at that time there were some there were something new so so there is always something new even even if it's an, a new christian apologetic or i don't know but okay the the argument from christianity didn't change the last 200 years but the atheist movement yeah whatever <laughs> for a long time let's agree on that um but for it's 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 important I think for everyone like every two years we have we have have a new new wave of new atheistic uh, leaders let's say for example it, there's new young people coming up to the stage and giving speeches Seth is relatively newer to to the atheist movement so I think that's that's just the the way it goes when the atheist movement is growing, new people come in, the people who are longer in the, in the movement, they think, oh yeah, I've heard that before. But for the new, new people, they always bring a new perspective. I think that's, that's something to look forward to. I agree thank totally. You, and I'm, uh, I'm going to come to you, Seth, in a second. Um, but Stefan, thank you very much for the call. I have got okay. more people. Thank you, thank you very much. Um, I've Hi. got more people um, who remove the person. I've got more people calling in today than ever before. Uh, and Earl, I'm coming to you again, but I'm using the th three strike rule. 
If you've not got it sorted this time, you're done. Uh, let's see if we can add Earl to the call. Earl, are you with us? Yes, I am. Oh, that's much better. Thank you. And I apologize to everyone. No problem at all. I apologize for my rudeness to you. Um, if it's the first time you've done it, I can understand it's not necessarily... It's his way. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm just a cantankerous old English git. Uh, accept my apologies. How can we help you? What are you bringing to the table today, Earl? Well, I just want to take the time to thank uh, gentlemen like um, yourself and, uh, and, and Seth and Thunderfoot for the excellent videos you've put on YouTube that have helped gentlemen like me, you know, question religion and question um, my purpose in religion in the first place. You know, I'm, I'm pretty much a humanist myself. I have, I have been in religion for the better part of 40 years. My father hadn't, hadn't, hadn't given me money to go to college because he, like so many other people, believed in the end of the world, you know, that was just around the corner. So to them, this is how serious it was. College was wrong. Higher education was wrong. And after the failure expand, of... Ex, please, Earl, expand on that. Uh, you're saying it's wrong, what, because it's a waste of time because the world's going to end? Exactly. This wow. Was back when, when was it going to end? Well, at the time, it was 1985 after I got out of high school, and they all felt because of, um, and you can take a guess which religion it is, you can, uh, because of things starting back in 1914, that they felt that, the pe that those who were around at the time of 1914 were going to see the coming of Armageddon, they were going to see the coming of, uh, uh, of the end times as they knew it, and so they, at that time, college it was like for them it was like going to a job that said going out of business and you're going in there to ask for work that's exactly how they saw it at the time what did what did you think about it obviously you grew up in this environment um at the time presumably there was a stage where you you fully bought into it well i've been indoctrinated all my life Ever since I was born, ever since um, I was a little kid, because they they've been in uh, in this religion for, you know, for better part of their young life. So of course they indoctrinated me and my siblings into it, my two sisters into it, and um, you know, after the failure of my first marriage, and realizing that you know I started feeling you know, like a loser, like um, like. Uh, you, you know, you know, what, what, what is going on? You know, why isn't my life going anywhere? You know, things like that. You know, then I thought about the child abuse I suffered, you know, when I was nine years old, because they, for some strange, stupid reason, believed anybody, trusted anybody who walked inside the church doors. So I've had babysitters abuse me physically, not sexually. And um, when all is said and done, in 2009, I... um leave it up to YouTube and, and the videos. It started with the GII video about why won't God heal amputees. And, you know, we've been always been... Great video. I'm sorry? That's a great video. It's, it's, it's also how I started. But do carry on, and then we're going to go to Seth. But do carry on, finish your, finish your account. Yeah. Well, it all started with that video. And, of course, um, when you use that search engine a bit and they give you the recommended videos, that's when I got into uh, the Thinking Atheist video about Noah's Ark 
and about Adam and Eve, and it all and it and it just all made sense at that point. And for a long time, I was very I was very um hesitant to to just stop not stop believing in God altogether. I was done with religion at that point and dogma, but just that belief in God. And then when I saw the other videos about okay, how you you can't disprove uh, the Easter Bunny, you can't disprove the Great Pumpkin, you know, doesn't mean you believe in it, you know, and just. And it's just um, opened up doors right now, and that's why now I can stand here and, and call myself a humanist, a secular humanist, and and realize this is, this is something. If I may ask you, uh, it's again a topic that we touched upon very briefly before we started the show, and I'm going to invite Seth to um, give his account. Um, presumably, your friends and family, and most people that you uh, grew up with, are still religious. Um, what sort of difficulties is that causing you? It's basically with them that it's, it's social suicide. You're pretty much cut off because that's the that's the penalty for um, apostasy. We've been always been taught that apostasy was a very bad word, you know. And the the worst part of it was my parents, and because they're still into it, they're still out there preaching, they're still believing. It's around the corner. The end of the world is around the corner. The end of the world is uh, there. And no matter how much I try to tell them, no matter how much I try to show them the ridiculousness, even to the point, I mean, the book that they're studying about, about evolution, it was made back in 1985. We had VCRs and cassette tapes back then. You know, and I'm trying to tell them, okay, I don't believe in Darwin. When I believe in evolution. Yeah, I mean, do you, do you still talk to them? Do you still get on with them? Yes. It's just the issue of religion. They refuse to talk to me about it, and and, and it's not because, and it's not because um, they don't love me anymore. It's just like they've been told that if someone leaves religion, you're not supposed to talk to them about religion. If and if it was, and if they weren't my parents, if they weren't related, you don't talk to them at all. You just cut off, and so they know. Sir, sorry, I'm, I'm sorry. I thought you'd finished. Okay, please, no, I'm, if you haven't, please carry on. Then we're going to go to Seth. No, that's pretty much it. That's pretty much what I um. Seth, what what are your views on this? Well, Earl, what I'm struck by first of all is the parallels between our own stories. Um, may I ask, what state were you born in? New York State. Okay, and the religion of your parents is what? Is it Protestant Christian? Is it Catholic? Is it uh... Jehovah's Witness? Jehovah's Witness. Okay. Yes. Well, you know. It's back to the uh, the the point that Dawkins made in his book, The God Delusion. The number, the two defining uh, characteristics of believers is where were you born and what was the religion of your parents, and the fact that you came to a point of critical mass in around 2009. I wasn't far before you. <laughs> don't let people tell you about the end times. Uh, don't you know? Heaven and hell are the carrot and the stick that religious communities and pastors and apologists use. And I, it's a control mechanism, right? It's, mm. They're fear pimps. What they do is they promise you heaven, pearly gates, mansions, streets of gold, eternal bliss, all of this. By the way, if you don't buy this, you're going you're gonna to fry forever. But when people tell me that, hey, it's the end times, I always go back to Matthew 16, 28. You know, it says... Uh, Christ said, there are some standing here who will not taste death. He told his own disciples there were some, he would come back so quickly 
<laughs> that even they would still be alive. And that was 2,000 years ago. He's a little late. And every generation has had its apocalyptic teachings and warnings and, and fear pimps who are trying to scare people into kowtowing and not challenging and not asking questions. Look, you have every right to live your own worldview, to not wear an inherited skin. And I think that's one of the things that took me the longest time to get over. I'm disappointing them. They, they spent how many thousands of dollars on Christian school? They, they spent their lives desperate to train me up in the way that I should go. This is betrayal of everything they hold dear. I am not just rejecting the faith they tried to, to plant within me, those seeds, but I am rejecting it as publicly as I can. I'm doing battle. I am now the enemy of the very ideology that they tried to raise me with. But I had to come to the conclusion that I have earned the right to live my own truth. And wherever that journey takes us, Earl, you know, I don't care what ends up at the end, but whatever the facts are, whether it's no God, whether Jesus shows up tomorrow and proves himself, whether it's the flying spaghetti monster, whether we're all in a big, you know, in a big snow globe, <laughs> you know, whatever the truth is, that's what we want. And I think as long as we pledge ourselves toward truthful living, we should be able to do so without apology, especially in the wake of crazy superstitious thinking. Can I, can I ask a question directed at both of you, because um, you have had an experience that I have not. Basically, you, you genuinely, firmly believed um, in the existence of a God. Um, let's just leave it at that. I never had that, and um, I have asked um, theists, what is it that you have you have that I'm missing out is it me that is missing out on something um, on reflection looking back um, what, what was it do you think that you had that I didn't and have never had and let, let, let me add an additional question to that for both of you um, and that's don't you actually I mean if that were me I would be so angry that people had essentially stolen years of my life um, Te you know, te teaching me this crap, um, you know, that they've stolen years of your life. I mean, okay, so we've got well, really kind of uh, we've got the point there. The, the two points, the two questions that um, uh, you can deal with um, both of them at the same time, or one or the, or the other. Let's uh, can we go back to you, Earl? Um, okay. Get your views on that. Well, I agree with Thunderfoot. I, I was pretty upset, but. What what helped me come over my anger from my parents is the fact that that they pretty much um how would I say it they um I guess it's just that strength of indoctrination it's like they had that you know you know it's it's what they firmly believed it's what they is what they based their lives on is what they based their lives on it's what they based their children's lives on until we reach adulthood none of my sisters uh my two sisters go go into the kingdom all either and um. But my parents still do. They still walk in the street preaching and everything. It's just it's just that power of indoctrination that that just got to them. And yeah, I I for a time I was angry. But I guess what, what kinda what kinda helped me get over my anger is the fact that um is the fact that uh you know, I have four children of, of my own and and I know life has to go on and what 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 do you teach them, if anything, about religion? Well, I, I, well, I've already told their mothers because I had remarried a second time, and I told their mother, look, um, I, if they ask me a question about religion, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell them what I 
what I what I know about religion to be the ultimate truth, but I'm not going to stop them from 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 faith. I want them to be, you know, to think for themselves. I want them to um, to uh, to uh, make make decisions for themselves, but I'm not going to stop them from you know, not make a decision as far as uh, uh, you know if it's okay to uh, uh, to go to stay up late or if it's okay to drink alcohol. But if you want to believe in this God, I'm going to, get to tell you, if they come to me about it, I'm going to tell them why and tell them no and why. Okay, they don't live with me, but I'm not going to keep my feelings to myself, and plus I am their father. Okay, so if they come to me about it, even though their, their, their mothers are very firmly into, uh, into my second wife is a, uh, is a Catholic, uh, if they're firmly into into this, I'm not going to stop them. But if they tell to me why I don't go to church with them, I'm going to tell them why. I'm not going to keep. I'm not going to do what my father did did to me. I'm going to tell them why I don't do it. You know, and I'm going to tell them, hey, you still respect your mother. You do what she tells you to do. You know, if you and if you go inside, and and to me, it's a good thing because they can go inside the church and ask questions. Something that you know I've been taught not to do. You're not supposed to question. Oh, you never question God. Uh, I, can, I, I can, agree I, with can I get throw it back uh, to Seth? You are, so far as I understand, the one atheist in a family, a big family of theists. Uh, how how do you deal with that? How does it work? Well, I I went through anger. Um, it's a very complex feeling and issue because I know that I know that they were operating, my mother and father, with with a genuine belief that the stories they were teaching out of Scripture were absolutely true. There was no malice at all. They honestly fear a child going to hell. They wanted, with every fiber of their being, to rescue me, to save me from what would be an eternal torment. I, I'm frustrated and angry that having addressed the concerns that I've had, in the years of uh, where I was examining my belief and my ultimate apostasy. And I came to them and I posited to them hard evidence refuting the beliefs that they have been thrusting toward me, right? They've been trying to fix me. I'm the prodigal. And to hear them come back with these same tired, hackneyed arguments that I hear from the William Lane Craigs and the Eric Hovens and the Sykin Bruggenkates and all those, it, that makes me angry. It tells me you're not listening. You've started with the answer. Now you're going to go and cherry pick pieces of evidence that happened to but You're going to find the rogue scientist who happens to believe in the great flood. And you're going to then throw them at me. But you're not really interested in truth. You're interested in being right. That makes me angry. And uh, I've had, you know, it took me a while to, to get through that. I think anger has its place. I think anger can be constructive. <laughs> um, right now, we have a relatively easy piece. I think we're trying to rebuild bridges. It's always in the room. As we talk about anything from the weather to sports teams to what the family events are and what people are doing in their lives, how's work, the underlying thing under there is that I, am, I have fallen away and I, I am destined for hell and must be fixed. And uh, you, you feel it when they stop and pray for the meal. I can feel that, you know, everybody's cognizant of the one guy in the room that thinks it's all a bunch of crap. Um, 
they'll throw something out like, oh, isn't it a beautiful day that the Lord has made today? <laughs> something like that. Well, we know who they're talking to. They're talking to me. And um, because most are uninterested in really examining the inherited beliefs that they, they hold so dear, I find myself sometimes struggling with anger and frustration. It, it's a challenge. By and large, though, my parents, they're in the winter of their lives. They're both in their mid-70s. I, I want a relationship with them. I want to spend time with them. I want to enjoy being around them. And I think we're all big kids. We should be able to have a disagreement on our worldviews and still be able to enjoy each other, shouldn't we? And if they think, can't abide the disagreement, word, that's a problem. I think the word is tolerance, isn't it? I, I, yeah. I, I, I don't this really thing, care TPR. what people think as long as they don't impose it on me. But just the one TPR. thing, if I may, very quickly, if I, if I can just express this, because this is the one thing that really angers me. We were talking about the uh, shooting in Newtown, uh, Connecticut uh, earlier. And on the BBC website that uh, I was uh, reading about it, um, there was a quote from the Pope. The Pope expresses his sympathies for those that have suffered. I'm totally sorry, I'm not saying that for a moment that those sentiments are not genuine. But what angers me is the, the complete fallacy and bollocks of religion. If, if your God is there, why did he allow it to happen? That's what angers me. The well, what they throw at who, you, though, DPR. pray to this entity saying that he is all good, and then a tragedy like this happens, and they say, oh, well, it's, it's all part of God's plan. What bollocks. I'm sorry, it angers me so much. Well, that, this is a strategy. And, and then what you do is if you say, look, the same omnipotent God who could blink the eye and create the universe did not intervene and stop the bullets from killing those children. Then they throw it off on man. It's a fallen world. It's free will. Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. We screwed up God's divine plan. And that's a tremendous revelation of the slave mentality that religious people often saddle themselves with. They, they like to be victims. It's our fault that all this happened. If only we prayed not, more. Actually, it's not our fault. It's Eve's fault. We are, we are suffering the sins that have been... The and fallen earth that has been trusted. I was born worthless. Eve ate a piece of fruit. Yeah. What, what sense does but that have? DPR, this doesn't actually help. Back to Earl. This doesn't actually help you with the Pope because, um, yeah, there's this great uh, motivational poster. Nothing says faith like three inches of bulletproof glass. Yeah. And this is the Pope riding around this Popemobile. Uh, what's also of interest, I, I don't know whether people are aware of this, and again, I'll include it in the description. The Pope has now gone on Twitter, um, and I, I am following him. <laughs> his, messages, <laughs> his messages so far have been utterly banal. But what's interesting is that a statement has been made that the papal tweets may not be infallible. So bear that in mind. Let's go back to I do have to move on, Old, but I'll give okay. you the last word if there's anything else you wanted to raise. Well, it's, well, I kind of agree with Thunderfoot. I mean, the Pope is walk, is driving around in three inches of bulletproof glass, but yet he's the most faithful believer of God um, there is, you know, but yet... He knows about the power of guns. It's it's he he, he is the vicar of Christ on earth. This mm -hmm. is what separates the Catholic Church from the Protestant Church, amongst other things. Um, yeah. Yes, um, and of course, um, when were the previous uh, John Paul uh, the second was 
shot. It was the Lady of Fatima that directed the bullet away from him. And as Dawkins rightly says, why didn't she just make it miss him altogether? I don't know. On that bombshell, uh, Earl, thank you very much indeed for the call. I've got loads of people that I'm going to try as best I can. Uh, and and thank you for the kind words, Earl, about the, the, the videos. I'm glad they helped you. It means a tremendous amount. It means a lot. Um, thank I, you. I was somewhat surprised he didn't say what he actually said in the uh, contact request, which was effectively uh, you, Seth, were the main person that um, caused him to convert, so to speak. But there we go. Well, I would hope, you know, I hope it's the evidence ultimately that causes people to to reject superstitious belief. I, I'm just trying to I think I want to create a, an environment where people feel like it's OK to at least have the conversation. And just like he wants to teach his children how to think and not what to think. I think we should all embrace that. Let's Absolutely. let's encourage each other how to think, not what to think. It's somewhat off topic, but it was a point that um, I did want to raise, and I apologize, Ivo, we will come to you very shortly. Um, however brilliant Hitchens was, and he, he was uh, brilliant, and I think of all the four horsemen, he was the most uh, eloquent and the most interesting to listen to. Uh, again, it was a point that I raised yesterday. Um, give me your comments. Um, he never... Uh, really addressed, in my view, the issue of whether a god exists or not, uh, which I have to say I, I, it's, it's a bit of a harsh criticism, but he, his concentration was on the fact, in my view, um, if a god did exist, then it's a particularly evil, nasty god that is not worthy of praise. Um, any observations on that before we go to either? Thunder? Um, is that right? Did Hitch? I mean, I, I I think that's almost splitting hairs at this point. Um, you know what 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 you're saying is the god that ninety seven point <laughs> that everyone on Earth apart from Westboro Baptist Church believes in doesn't exist. I would say that's an argument against God. Um, well, no, I, I think if point... you author a book called The Portable Atheist, you pretty much taken a hard stand and to say you are anti-theist you have taken a stand I mean I don't think I think he he held he obviously acknowledged you cannot disprove the existence of God just as you can't disprove the existence of a giant plush monkey suction cup to the back of one of Jupiter's moons that's not a productive way to approach the argument but I I think I, I one thing I did appreciate about Hitchens is that he was able to talk about someone who could tell a story and who was entertaining and compelling from the stage and who was fearless and had a kind of a personality behind. I mean, it wasn't just like listening to stereo instructions when he would throw no. these arguments out, when he would address specific scriptures, when he would address all of the atrocities of the Abrahamic God so that even if he did exist, he was nothing worth following. He did it in a way that drew you forward in your seat and made you want to hear more. And I think that's something we... I miss it. I miss Hitch's approach. I, 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 I wait for someone to sort of I, jump into his yeah, spot. I, I, and say, and I, even, I don't disagree with anything you said. Sorry, Thunder, to go on. Even when he did that debate with Dembski, um, I mean, I, I thought that was an absolutely fantastic performance uh, where he was actually telling all these young kids um, uh, in ways far more eloquently than I could deliver um, essentially the same message that Seth was saying, uh, you know, that what we want to do is teach people how to think, not what to think. And what's more, that he was alert, yeah, beware of the con men, 
who come with come to you with certainty um and he 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 was just devastating in the way that he nailed it and you're right he had a real stage presence yes he was always entertaining to watch oh absolutely I, I, and um again i'll probably include a link to the um the debate that you've just discussed uh, it was i think he was he was given a fairly kind hand in that regard though because dempsey was absolutely painfully woeful in his arguments but he's taken on uh, better people uh, William Lane Craig is one. Um, Tony Blair—well, actually, Tony Blair's a piece of shit. But hey, I saw um, him. I saw him uh, speak to. He was talking to Al Sharpton. The, the, his his debate at the 92nd Street Y with Rabbi Shmuley Botiak was the first video debate. God, is there a God? Is there no God? Type debate that I had ever seen. And I honestly say, without hyperbole, I say it was the the first real step toward apostasy for me was to watch that 90-minute exchange. It was a life changer. Uh, I'm acutely aware we've left Ivo waiting, and we get criticised for leaving callers waiting. Ivo, are you with us? Uh, yes, I am. What have you got for us today? Well, first off, I would like to thank all you guys for giving me some tactical nukes for debates. That's very kind of you. We all we all appreciate brown nosing, even if we don't admit it publicly. Thank you. Uh, I want to um, share a, a little experiment I thought of. No, I can't take all the credit. I saw a rough explanation of the of a research done by Berkeley, I think, and it involves fish. I uh, I'm studying to be a biology teacher, and I intend to have two fish tanks in my classroom. One of which has guppies. And I don't know if you know the fish, but guppies has a re have a really fast procreation rate. I mean, if you by chance have one male in it, you you can bet your money on it that about two weeks after that you have a thousand guppies in your bowl. I've got some well, cousins only, like only, that. If the, only if there's a female in the tank as well. But yeah. carry on. I, I, so, I think guppies. Well, no, let, think, let, let, okay. let Ivo finish his point. So um, that's one well, tank. What's in the other tank? The other tank has a predator in it, and the trick is to get the, to get the right species of fish because you don't want the predator to be too efficient and eat all the guppies faster than they can procreate. But and then you just feed them, and in the tank with no predator, sexual selection will take over, and the guppies will get more colorful and more beautiful. And in the other tank with the predator. And the more colorful you are, the more easily spotted by the predator fish that are in the tank. So right. as my classes progresses and uh, the equivalent of high school here, it takes four years. And hopefully by the time I, uh, my first class uh, graduates, you would see morphological change. According to that research, the first small changes are noticeable after five generations or so. I'm not sure. It's an interesting idea. I think there are better ways of explaining evolution, but hey. I've seen this movie. I've seen this movie, and it goes horribly wrong, and it's going to be on the sci-fi network in six months. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> Sharktopus is, is what you're building, essentially. Yeah. That's a hilarious film, by the way. Yeah. Uh, there we are. Thank you very much. Uh, I appreciate uh, I uh, your call. Oh, sorry. Well, there's something else. Do go on. I have one more question for sure. Thunder, uh, about protein folding. I have. I. I'm wondering if I could use a 
a slinky as an analogy. Like, this uh, has got to be the most esoteric call we've ever had. <laughs> Thunder, uh, would a slinky uh, be a good analogy or model for protein folding? Um, I'm not so sure how. <laughs> but, uh, on that bombshell, Ivor, and no, 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 hang on. Look, 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 look. I'm, I'm curious as to. Uh, oh shit! What? Wow, be still, my heart. I mean, this this thread I, I, has I'm just been cool. riveting. <laughs> For the rest of us. <laughs> uh, I, I apologize for removing you so quickly. Um, I, I, I'm completely aware there are many contact requests. I am going to get through as many as we can. Um, and I am going to take Miles next. But we'll see. Um, and the rest of the contact requests I'll come to. By the way, Protein Folding is another sci-fi movie that is just absolutely amazing. Miles, are you with us? Yes, I am. If you Hi, can. how are you doing? Hi, I'm good. Good. Um, I'm not quite sure I'm going to follow up on Ivar. That was uh, an interesting call. <coughs> I, I'm, I'm um, sure it's quite genuine, but I, it, it was kind of esoteric, and protein folding I don't think is really the sort of topic that anyone other than Thunder may be able to talk about, but hey. Let's, um, uh, what, what have you got for us? Um, I wanted to talk about um, my schooling in, in England, religious studies is mandatory. Um, I'm not quite sure until what age, but we did it until GCSE age. And um, up until then, in my school, our religious education teacher was an atheist, which I found was really interesting. He would do these like strange exercises, like practicing skepticism. He would, he was like, making arguments about the world being flat and you know just he didn't believe it obviously but just certain things like that and i was wondering what you guys thought on something like that being you could say some sort of requirement to get a kind of fair and unbiased religious education class i i think an atheist is probably the best person to take a, a religious education class uh, i have no problem with people being educated about religion um, provided it is it's in the sort of like the environment of a history lesson as opposed to a reality lesson. Uh, Seth, your views. Well, forgive me, Miles. I I couldn't hear um, the majority of your call. Let me make sure that I'm on your page. Are we talking about the validity of teaching world religions in school? Um, not precisely. More about the way it's taught in terms of an atheist teaching religious education within the classroom. And uh, what you said earlier about in England, atheism isn't really seen, seen as a big deal. Yeah, yeah, that is the case, really. Like, most of the people I associate with are atheists. Not, they just, they just happen to be, you know, I didn't go up to them and go, oh, are you, blah, blah, blah. And it was interesting, though, because my family is quite religious. Um, I went to a church school in uh, my younger years from the age of like 5 to 11 or something and the secondary school I went to was a good five minutes walk so most of the people that was brought up in that school did go to that to that secondary school so it wasn't an official religious school but it had a large religious influence in terms of the teachers and that was the that was the school in which I did have the atheist teacher. 
Well, Miles, um, Seth is back with us and he's uh, messaging me saying that the audio is much better. Do you, do you want to repeat your question rather than have me try and translate it um, to, get his, to get his views on it? Yeah, sure. Basically, um, I was talking about how in my secondary school, my religious education teacher was an atheist. And I was wondering whether you think it would be a good idea to have that as some sort of requirement, you could say, to have a fair and unbiased classroom. Well, I don't know if it's, it's practical or even the right move to require a non-believer to, to hold a specific position. I do think that it's, I think that we should be teaching facts instead of agendas. You know, you're going to find scientists who hold a personal religious belief. You're going to hold, find teachers who hold a personal religious belief. If they want to hold said belief, they're more than welcome to. What I want in the classroom is not agenda-based proselytizing. I want the teaching of the facts. Daniel Dennett and I agree on this. He believes that there should be required classes in every American high school of all the major world's religions, not that this one is true and this one is not. I had world religions when I was in private school, and essentially it was debate training. They would teach you about Jehovah's Witness, they would teach you about Mormonism and, and Islam and all these other things, but it was from a position of here's how you beat them in a debate. If they knock on your door, here's how you beat them. Well, that's not educating right now. You're not, you're not teaching anything. What you're doing is you're, you're trying to create converts. Um, but I believe that, I, I think it's absolutely essential, critical, we teach the tenets of all the major world religions, just the facts. Who's the deity? What are the requirements? What are their laws or testaments or what have you? What does their holy book say? What are the requirements for paradise? What happens when you die? Can I, can you I just ask you every major Seth, one, and then you allow people? I'm sorry, sir. Can I just ask you this? Because um, along with those questions, I think one of the ones that gets the worst response, but perhaps makes them think more, is um, to ask them why they believe in their particular flavor of God and not another one. Why is it that their religion is right and not another one? And we, I think anyone knows the answer. The answer is, almost without exception, uh, you believe the faith of your parents or your, perhaps in a broader term, country. Why is it that a Christian child is comes from a Christian parents and not Muslim parents? I mean, it's 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 blindingly obvious. Well, ask them why it is. Not. Why it is that they've got it right and the, the the whatever other religion has got it wrong? I don't think they can be honest with you because they're being dishonest with themselves. You know, this is confirmation bias. This is I have the truth, which is an empowering feeling for the believer. I have the good news. I have been the one enlightened and everyone else is deceived. I must go and rescue the world. Now I have a mission. I have a purpose. I have a posthumous existence in the sky, all these things. When you were, uh, when you were a believer, when you were on radio, uh, broadcasting on a Christian channel and so forth, um, did that question ever enter your mind or did you just simply not accept it? Did you think, why am I not a Muslim? No, I'm in Oklahoma. Everybody's Christian. And this is, it's, it's, it's like a, a biosphere. When everyone around you thinks like you, and there are variations. Oh, yeah, there's the, the Pentecostals disagree with the Baptists on issues like speaking in tongues. And we disagree on whether or not you baptize with immersion or whether or not you baptize with water. Do you sprinkle? Do you use oil? 
uh, you know, is is salvation eternal? Do you receive the Holy Spirit upon salvation, or do you say a separate prayer? I mean, the semantics, those are fair game. But the main, main religion, it's identical. Everybody believes the very same thing. And you never really run into people around here, at least who publicly will say, ah, hell, I don't buy it. And because of that, you're always confirmed. You're always thinking, well, you know, geez, every, right. be, nobody disbelieves in God. It just never occurs to you to challenge that foundation. Do hey, DPR, I have a question for you. Sure. You're a lifelong atheist or non-believer or whatever, right? Um, my uh, background, I think, very much like uh, Thunder's very mild indoctrination. At school, we were taught there was only there was only one good book. We had scripture lessons, and we yeah. learned about the Old Testament, New Testament. By the age of about eight or nine, I just sort of like drifted away from it. There was not one thing in particular. Uh, it wasn't a, a huge um, problem for me. It was just I. I expressed it in this way in a video I posted on YouTube, it was like um, God floated away like uh, flotsam on the ebb tide or something. There's nothing dramatic about it. I just lost interest and the uh, at home, neither of my parents were um, believers, so it was so mild, I think you could probably say I was a non-believer throughout my life, yeah. So I must be an enigma to, to you. I mean, people who have believed, who are, have believed for so long Yes, and, and this is why, this is why, this is why I uh, keep on asking people like yourself um, what it was like to be the believer that you were and what your mind process was and how you, you think look I'm back stupid? on it. No, not at all. No, really? No, 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 you no, can no, admit no. It. <laughs> no, because, no, I don't. And this is the poisonous thing about religion. It's not that you're stupid. It was that you were indoctrinated when you had a very young, malleable mind and thoughts and ideas were put in your head in a pernicious, nasty way and not only that, that you were also threatened with the idea of hell. How cruel is that to tell well, a child that if they do not believe as you do, they will burn for eternity. That is disgusting. I'm sorry. I'm just, I was just I turning this to screw DC. there. I know, that, I know you don't, you don't feel that way. I just thought it would be funny to get you off on a, on a tangent, you know, because you're really, you're, you're really good at that, and, and, you, and I enjoy seeing that, that side of you. <laughs> it irritates me. Very, Look, I I'm saw normally some pictures. very calm and placid, though. I don't like uh, you know, I, I see pictures of these young kids, and they, they cart them in. I mean, they have lines of them going down the hall, and they throw them into a room, and they're like, now, who loves you more than anyone else in the world? And they all look up and go, Jesus. And, and uh, who died for your sins? Jesus. And where do you want to go when you die? Jesus. Heaven. You know, they're you just... You know what? I, I, honestly, I have to interrupt you because let's go back to gun law. Um, if I come to America, give me your gun. Get me a license because I want to shoot Ken Ham for one. <laughs> because he, uh, all the most I would like to uh, associate myself at this point. Children, this yeah, I, I was about to say DPR, people have got arrested going into America for less. I, I, I would no, like I to. I told him, I'm going to write give me his gun. I'm not going to take a gun with me for fuck's sake. I'm not that stupid. You take but a hose to him. You know, that'll be a lot of, that'll be a lot more gratifying and it won't land you in, as we say in America, the pokey. But if, if I if I kill Ken Ham, I'm not going to end up in prison. I suspect. Should we open up a poll? Should we open? In fact, I may do that. In fact, I can't. 
Tony, I think you're logged in. Perhaps you can open up a poll, uh, Tony, and we'll take a vote on whether Ken Ham should be shot for. What, I, I'm sorry, it, it, for me, it is a very serious issue, and it does make me very emotional. Uh, people like him are teaching children bullshit. So we had psychological abuse. To go back to your point, Seth, of course I don't think you're stupid. You're incredibly intelligent. You're very articulate. You're whatever. You just got out of the indoctrination. I don't blame you. How can I blame you for being indoctrinated? Well, you know, one of the things I've always wanted to accomplish, I've, w I've wanted to, is, is to try to create a, an atmosphere of empathy. Many lifelong non-believers do not understand how hard it is to crawl out. And I think, you know, understanding how someone else how they were raised, how indoctrination works, the psychological abuse that does take place when we're very young children and how difficult it is to break those molds, I think is something that if, if people really understood, I think they'd be a little more empathetic and sympathetic toward. Obviously, the, uh, Roger will come to you very shortly. Obviously, the culture in America does not make that particularly easy. In the time that you have been an open atheist and um, have been doing your podcasts and your uh, website and your public speaking, um, do you have optimism that things are changing in the right direction? Tulsa, Oklahoma is like, in, I, I just wrote a book and in the book I say that Oklahoma has two things in prevalence. We have tornadoes and churches and the tornadoes are easier to escape. That is an absolute truth. But in 2011, we had 300 people come out to an Oklahoma Free Thought Convention, the first event of its kind, over 500 last year. And they're very small steps, but I'm starting to see, even in my, my circle, my local circle, we're starting to see ripples of rationalism begin to, to move outward. And I am optimistic. It's going to be a slog. It's going to be a long uphill climb. The religious will not go quietly. They're going to uh, wave their finger at us and they're going to claim moral superiority. They're going to try to demonize us. They're going to do everything in their arsenal to try to, to quell that rising tide. But I think it will happen. It may take a decade before we see any real ripples here uh, as far as any real tangible effects. But it's, you know, we have to start some... A, a slow process, a process much like taking yeah, I mean, gun, gun control. I, I'm sorry, yes. Sander, do, do be brief because, because I, I, I'm aware that we're keeping Raj waiting. Thunder. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I just wanted to say this is another thing that is uh, different between America and England. Is it's not just um, that there there isn't the um, the number of Christians. It's also that there just isn't that um, social penalty to pay for saying I'm not a believer. Right, whereas there is in Oklahoma, so um, I, I think that you are, um, you and those who are coming out in Oklahoma, um, you are the the first um, pebbles that uh, come before the avalanche, because um, when you actually get an environment where. Um, there are more free thinkers. There is less of a penalty to pay for leaving the religion. One thing, Thunder, is this, and I apologise, Josh. We will be with you as soon as we can. Um, I, I sent you. I, I, I presume you received it. I sent you uh, concordance and um, R and A, um, very recently published uh, uh, peer-reviewed uh, paper, uh, 
on why it is that um, people, uh, or in particular in America, why atheists are um, not liked. And the findings are absolutely horrific. Um, people would rather have a rapist babysit their child than a, 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 an atheist. Um, and the reason is, and I, I'm more than happy to link people to it and send you a copy of it as well, um, um, Seth. The reason is apparently distrust. That's the issue that people have with atheists. We're just simply not trusted. I don't know where to begin with that, but... Well, I think go. we spoke about this on, on our podcast that we did at The Thinking Atheist. I know I had you and Aaron and Thunderfoot. And it's, it's not enough to have a disagreement, especially when you're on the extreme side of either fence. The, the opposition, your adversary, your opponent, must be demonized, vilified, Hitlerized, must be a monster, must be the worst of the worst. And this is something that has been done to non-believers. It's not that we just don't buy it. It's that we are the worst that society has to offer. And that stereotype has been proliferated long enough that for many people it has stuck. And they're much too intellectually lazy to find out what we're really about. Let's go to our caller. Raj, welcome to the show. What have you got for us? Hello, can you hear me? Perfectly, thank you. Hi. Uh, you talked about um, religion in the UK and you made it sound like uh, it's not that big of a deal. Um, I'm totally sorry. I, I, I don't know whether others heard it. I didn't. Can you just say that again? Your audio broke up a little bit. Oh, sorry. Um, you made it sound like you and um, Miles, I think it was, made it sound like um, religion isn't much, isn't as big of a deal as it is in the US. And that's probably so, but not to that big of an extent. I think it's still a huge thing. I mean, I go to school now and... Um, the recent census showed that about 25% are uh, um, affiliated with no religion. About 60% are Christians, I think it was. That doesn't really reflect in at least the areas I've lived and gone to school in. Um, there's a really. So are, you, are you saying that the majority of people are more Christian than the census indicated, or less? Um, well, not not necessarily about. Christianity. I mean, I live in East London and we have a really large Muslim population around here. Um, and, well, in my school at least, at least 60% or 70% are Muslim. Um, so when, on Ramadan when everybody's out, at least, you know, most of the school's empty. So, I mean, it's, it's, it doesn't seem like, you know, all my friends are atheists and it's not really a big deal. And uh, Miles commented on um, religious education in the UK. Um, he said, um, oh, what I wanted to say about that was, in class, when we discuss things, um, everything's kind of brought about as um, having equal weight in an argument when, when they teach it. And um, when we talk about alternative views, the Big Bang and evolution comes up. And it's always as if it's an alternative belief system whether, you know, you can be a Christian or you can, you know, believe in the Big Bang. And uh, we discuss about it in class and the teacher and all the students are qualified to, you know... Raj, can I ask you, in, in which classes uh, is, is this sort of thing discussed? RE, I guess. It's, 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 it's not sort of like being taught in science classes or history no. classes? Or... No, no, nothing like right. that. I but, would... Well, okay, well, religious education, again, I, I don't have too much of a problem with that. Um, I, the fact that everyone's view carries equal weight, I think, is a nonsense. 
Um, but there's no harm in discussing it, and I think that that sort of discussion should be encouraged because it actually highlights uh, the fallacies of uh, most people's position. Uh, I remember one of the documentaries that Dawkins did recently. He went to a school, a uh, faith school, um, and I, I do have huge problems with faith schools, but he went yeah. to a faith school, um, Muslim uh, faith school, and uh, every single pupil in the biology class um, doubted evolution. Um, and they thought well, the Quran was better. Um, yes. And they thought the Quran was yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know exactly what I'm referring to. Yeah. yeah. I, I think that's disgraceful. Um, but that, I think, is more based on my objection to faith schools. I don't think you would have that uh, in other schools. In fact, there was a recent um, development. Uh, I think that the Secretary of State for Education within the last year said that no funding, public funding, would be given to any school that did not teach evolution as a Oh, fact. yeah, yeah. No, yeah, I, I do remember reading about that. But um, it was more that, you know, nobody was... Uh, qualified to talk anything about, to debate, to debate the Big Bang, really, and have that as an alternative view to religion. I don't in my think, class, I don't think there is anyone here that would um, claim to be qualified to talk about the Big Bang. Uh, I think it's one of those mysteries, and it's just unfortunately it's sort of like one of the gaps that is used by the religious yeah. to uh, to squeeze in their god. Um, yeah, no, I do. I do. I don't, see. I don't think any more point that could, needs to be made than that, does it? Uh, what, what are other people's views? I know I'm talking too much. Thunder. Okay, Thunder's not his computer. Uh, no, no, no. Oh, Thunder's sorry. here. He's just here. He wasn't expecting you to come to it that quickly and had to unmute his mic. Um, yeah, uh, I always find it um, uh, terribly depressing that um, all these theologians... Uh, take it as one of their line one item that you know the universe must have began somewhere well you know you scroll the clock back uh, a couple of thousand years and people would look up in the sky and see the rainbow and say isn't it amazing how no one knows you know the the, the bible tells us how the rainbow got there it's a love letter from god promising that he'll never destroy the world again by a flood um a promise, a promise that he's kind of kept, but not entirely. He sends the odd tsunami now and again. But hey, that's because Eve ate an apple. Yeah. Um, and now, since we understand so much, the God has been pushed back so far that it's he, he's now in the first um, uh, nanoseconds of the universe. That's the, those are the unknown areas where God now hides. I, it, it's just got a bit gaps. It really, I find it really annoying. I, I am aware that we have uh, overrun by a few moments. Seth, how much more time can you spare us? I'm pretty good for about uh, 25 more minutes. That would be absolutely, absolutely fantastic. Did you want to comment on uh, what uh, Roger had said? Well, I don't know that I have anything to add that you already haven't. Uh, I do want to express a tremendous amount of frustration at, I mean, if I have to hear evolution is just a theory, one more time, I feel like I'm going to just go put my head <laughs> to the ground. Yeah, it, it is. And this is, you know, I realize that people hold on. They clutch onto their cherished belief systems, right? This is the foundation on which many of them have built their lives. It is their security blanket. They will not give it up easily. Look, thinking critically challenging 
the established belief systems of our parents and families and culture and what have you is, is difficult. It's uncomfortable and most people don't want discomfort. They want comfort and security and assurance. And, um, and so they circle the wagons and they hear that there is an explanation of the origins of the universe that, that fall well outside of their holy book. And they are immediately going to latch on to the first uh, sort of bubblegum response, paper-thin response that they can get their hands on. And they were taught by their parents, evolution's just a theory. And without learning what scientific theory is all about or the evidence for the Hubble constant and all of that type of stuff, they're going to just say, oh, it's just a theory. And then they're going to go out and have, have a burger. <laughs> you know, the Religion kills curiosity. And, and, it, and it's a tremendous amount of frustration that I feel every time that comes up. I, I have to say, uh, I, I, I couldn't agree more with what you've just said. That frustration um, I, I get as well. And it's, it's, enhanced, that, that it's, it's enhanced because of the fact that um, these people are perpetuating something that they know is untrue. They have been told what the word theory means. Well, I don't know if they know or they, look. Aaron Raw had a great quote at the Reason on the Rock event a few months ago. He said, ignorance is not just what you don't know. Ignorance is also what you won't know. They don't want to hear the answer. So it's not that they just that they don't know. It's that they have built that wall, right? They have the barbed wire out. And the correct answers are now at arm's length and are not allowed in. This goes and it, back it's to, willful ignorance. This goes back to um, a point that we were discussing much earlier on in the show. Um, what is the best way to approach these people? And again, I, I, I ask you specifically, Seth, because you are in a position um, that I have never been in, namely that you actually did once believe. So what was it that worked with you that um, got the message across for you? I have a, a very strong opinion on this subject. So if I go off on a tangent, will Please, you interrupt me? You, you are our special guest. Will you Carry derail on. the train if I lose if I lose track of time? I can't promise you that. I um, I again feel that anger has its place, but I think the angry atheist quite often does more damage to the cause of free thought than someone who is an accessible person, a real person who embraces life and wants to to be happy and to build a bridge rather than burn it. Now, sometimes, now those people will misinterpret kindness for weakness. And they will say, oh, these, these people, these creatards, religiotards, these are terms I would like to see removed from our vernacular permanently, by the way. They're, they'll never get it. They are subhuman. They are all these things. Well, no, actually, the vast majority of religious people that I have ever met are good people who were indoctrinated by their families and cultures. They're doing their best to live good lives. They've been insulated, and you're not going to browbeat them into reason. I think we have to ourselves try to be the best people we can be, to be the most approachable people that we can be, so that when they come to a point, and there's a good chance that at some point in their life, they're going to look at the Noah story and say, oh, that just doesn't make sense. <laughs> you know, I don't know. It may or may not, maybe 10 years, but there's oh, a 600 year old guy. I don't know. I don't know. Well, if I'm in his or if I'm on his radar and I'm an attractive person to be around, I'm a person who who does not put him off, turn him off or whatever. I'm just might be the person that, that they come to and they say, look, can you tell me what you think about all this? 
if I was a non or if I was a believer and I had jumped into an angry atheist type environment and I had had genuine questions, there's a very good chance I would have been turned off and tuned out and I might not be doing any of this today. Christopher Hitchens is again, I I don't want to deify the man, but he's just about a perfect example of, of strength without being a douchebag. He was on stage, he owned it, he ridiculed without religion, or without apology, he ridiculed religion, but he was also filled with good humor, he loved to laugh, he, he was very kind to his antagonists, and I think we have a responsibility in the Freethought community to try to be the best people we can be, and to try to promote atmospheres of goodwill and kindness wherever we can, because those who are on the fringes, who are going through moments of doubt, real doubt, they will then feel more free to come to us and say and feel like they're not going to be vilified or insulted or attacked or made to feel stupid, but they can be safe and they can ask those questions. And now we have a conversation. That makes so, sense. Can I, yeah. Can I pause you that and, and, and ask you this question? Because what my experience tells me is this: that when you are dealing with people um, of faith um, and trying to reason with them, the very fact that you question their faith is for them uh, an act of aggression and confrontational uh, state. I, I do not see how else you can do it. But well, sec- I, let, I, me add, no, let, let me add a that. second question. Let me add a second question. All right. For example, do you think Dawkins is correctly um, described by many as being strident and aggressive? I don't. I don't. And and this is, I believe, the victim mentality is a tactic in the church. Look, religion has had pretty much carte blanche to be as vocal as it wants for a long, long time. And now that it is in an era where we can, there's a great website called Let Me Google That For You. And I use it for people who won't take 30 seconds to do a quick Google search of some very basic information. I mean, the dogma itself is ripe for ridicule, yes. Um, I just lost my train of thought. You ever do that? <laughs> just, oh, frequently. At my age, at my age, it happens all the time. Okay, thunder. Fill in the gap. whilst uh, Seth uh, gets his mind back. Now the really horrible bit is the second you said it's like. Uh, what, what was he just talking okay, about? Okay, let's go back to Raj. I really did. I was going down that bunny trail, and then I hit a fork, and then I just uh, I turned okay. into my parents. It's okay. It was a very eloquent uh, rant. <laughs> let's, let's go back to Raj. As you, you okay, we were talking about uh, you know, shrill atheists. Oh, uh, he's oh um, too shrill. I don't, I don't agree that Dawkins is shrill. I, I think you have to be uh, blunt, and, and you have to... Uh, Address And I even mock the dogma and doctrine, very, very much so. Uh, I don't think you go and say to a believer, you're an idiot, you're stupid, you're, you're all these horrible things. I think we have every bit of a responsibility to go into the uh, dogma and make fun of it. It should be ridiculed. It's not that we made it to look ridiculous, it's that it is ridiculous. And the victim mentality, which is where I was going, man, it feels good to be able to finish this train of thought. I, I feel validated. The, the victim mentality is a defense mechanism. What they say is, why do you have to attack my faith? Well, you're not attacking. You know, you're, not, you're not really attacking them personally. You're going after the belief system that they happen to grab onto. But by playing victim, now, now they get to act wounded and hurt. And supposedly that gives them insulation from the scrutiny upon their worldview.
Raj. Yeah, no, all I all I really had to say was, you know, it isn't it isn't all that nice here in England with you with everybody being an atheist, it's really not like that. Um, uh, I, I, I think that you are probably, yeah, and then you referred to East London, um, I'm familiar with parts of East London because I actually uh, lived there for a couple of years, um, some years ago. Um, I think you're talking about isolated pockets um, rather than um, the population as a whole. Uh, and clearly if you are at a school where there is a, a very large uh, Muslim uh, population, then you are likely to get that. But um, Muslims, what's the percentage of um, Muslims in the uh, United Kingdom? I'm, I'm, oh, it's very low, yeah. It's it, it is very low. So um, whilst your specific case, I, I'm sure you're absolutely right. Uh, I don't think it's uh, reflective of the country as a whole. Now, it raises uh, interesting questions, um, I think, as to, to what degree and level um, certain um, members of the Muslim community actually want to integrate uh, with society as a whole. Yeah. Um, and I'm also concerned by their desires to seek to introduce uh, Sharia law, for example. Well, oh, yeah, that, that's... It's, uh, it's, it's kind of... Uh, yeah, you know, I had those posters very near my house, the ones that said, you know, uh, to see... Um, Something, something about apostasy and death and stuff. Well, I, I think it's absolutely disgraceful, and I do think um, that uh, we are at times too politically correct, um, and sort of say, oh, well, it's a matter of faith, we shouldn't do it. You know, people aren't prepared to stand up uh, and say that And then there's the whole wrong. thing of saying it's Islamophobia. Oh, if I hear that word one more time, I swear I'm going to kill someone. You're racist and yeah, criticizing yeah, Islam. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Uh, I'm sorry. The, the bizarre thing is that I get this uh, order of magnitude more than I think probably everyone else here. Um, it's another victim mentality. What a huge distraction. Now we're not yeah. talking about your belief system. Now we're talking about skin color. And of course, it totally rejects the, the absolute fact that Islam is a belief system. It is not a skin color. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's a belief system. Uh, some of whose proponents genuinely believe that beheading people for apostasy is perfectly justifiable. Now, I'm sorry, no political correction in the world is going to stop me saying I think that that is bollocks. No, but Hamza, the... Oh, what's the organisation? The IERA. Yeah, um, which the E stands for education, and this is a fuckwit that puts out bollocks about embryos. Yeah, this is education. Not only, not only do you know how much money they get? Do you know how they are a charity? Do you know how much money they get per annum? The last year, I think they got eight hundred thousand pounds to dress uh, Hamza in a nice suit so you can travel around the world, just preaching absolute garbage. Does that make right. me angry? Hey, fuck me, it does. Have they got almost a million pounds? Yes. <sighs> go, to the, go to the charity's site. It's publicly available. Check out their charity. Uh, yeah. The first accounts that they posted were so about we're 2009. The second accounts that they posted 
were, and I will apologize if I'm wrong, were uh, 800,000-ish. It's around that figure. That's absolutely ludicrous. I mean, yes. what, what do they have to show for that money? They're ignoring that. They've got you know, Hamza in a nice suit travelling all over the world giving the same bloody speech which he has plagiarised from William Lane Craig and included yeah. other elements of utter nonsense such as his embryo business in the Quran. Uh, and that's what... Uh, I have, written to, the charity, here, I have yeah. written to the Charity uh, Commission and I have complained about their charitable status. And do you know what their advice was? They said, well, you must write to the trustees of the charity. Do you know who the trustees of the charity are? It's also Hamza's close friends and associates uh, and whatever. It's, it's ridiculous, it's ludicrous, and yet, I know, Seth, you love me getting angry, but I'm sorry, I'm genuinely angry. It really fucking frustrates me when genuine education, genuine science is underfunded, and these fuckwits get charitable status to go and spread this garbage? Yes, I'm fucked off about it. And then when he came on here, he had this wonderful justification for why beheading apostates was acceptable. Because it's painless. Yeah. You've got to be kidding me. And yeah, this is this guy who's now heading a sort of million, near million dollar Islamic organization going around justifying beheading apostates. I mean, come on. It's painless, isn't it? That's what makes it... Yeah, there's, there's definitely something different about Islam compared to the other religions. I mean, with me, well, I, because I, I've been around... Because sure I've been around so Sorry, do express your point. I'm not sure, sure there is really that much difference. It's just that... Um, the what we call more moderate religions have, have just effectively watered down whatever good book they rely on and cherry pick the nice bits out of it. Islam hasn't got to that stage. Or let me be very careful what I say here. Certain aspects of uh, Mus the Muslim uh, fraternity have not watered down the Quran. So there are still fractions that believe, as apparently Hamza does, that beheading apostates is acceptable. I'm sorry, I interrupted you. Yeah. No, that's that. definitely true, I agree with that, but there is something, because I've been around so many Muslims, and I know how they react to criticism and how it is, there's, there is something different about how they react. There's this deep, uh, it's difficult to explain, but they I think you've got to what Seth talked about it's, before. It's almost it's a like they form a, a brotherhood, and you know, they, they don't take kindly hmm. to criticism. Sorry, do you look at... Uh, apostasies or non-Muslims or infidels in that specific way it's you know this in a condescending they, they don't take kindly to there's this deep nature it's it's difficult to explain but if, if, if you're what on could be, you're around what could be more terrifying to Islam than people who have participated and been at the heart at the core of the religion saying it's all false walking away and perhaps being public about their apostasy. I mean, I mean, I mean they're not. They're obviously of course, not they're threatened. Um, they're obviously not all evil. Some of them are my, my friends, but there's still that you know element of you know you don't you're still not one of us. Um, and again, we go back to the comments that Seth made before about defense mechanisms and the like. Um, they feel part of the club, but this sort of like tribalism is not unique to religion. I mean, you can look at it in so far as um, football clubs 
are concerned and you get people supporting one particular football club and saying that that's the best club in the world. Um, what I find interesting about that is um, they unify when it comes to England playing an international football game. Suddenly all of these individual tribes unite um, and we find that also in religion. Uh, when religion comes under attack you'll be amazed how quickly the different religions are all prepared to come together uh, and stand up for religion. Um, Raj, I am acutely aware of the time and I know that uh, okay. Seth has to leave us soon, but thank you very much indeed for the call. Thanks, Adam. Uh, thank you. I'm going to try and get one last person in if that's alright with you, Seth. Sure. Uh, um, I suspect that this is going to be the last person. I apologise to those who have sent contact requests who I have not got to. As I understand, most of you are from America, UK. Well, I'm from a post-Soviet country, and around here we have an interesting phenomenon. When the communist state or Russia banned uh, religion, all all religions, sects uh, went underground. And after we gained independence people sort of jumped on all of superstitious things. They didn't go back to just Christi Christianity, Protestantism, and so forth, but they also started to seriously believe in zodiacs, bioenergetics, karma, pseudoscience, and it, all, and it became such a, well, a mess. Uh, well, before, before I ask the panel to uh, address that point, just um, help us if you can, because I'm um, not entirely sure uh, uh, when it was that religion was effectively banned in the Soviet Union. Uh, effectively, well, it's around 40, 50 years in my I think that ban, as you say, has been lifted. Uh, but yeah, what your your point, so far as I understand it, is as a result of lifting that ban, uh, people have now indulged themselves in even more bizarre um, belief systems. Yes, and right. uh, but you you you're you're not, I presume, and I, I'm sorry to talk over you because I, I appreciate the time uh, restraints that we have. Um, your point, though, is presumably not that um, a government ban on religion actually stopped people believing, they just didn't do it publicly. Yes, uh, it didn't yeah. work completely, but the ban itself, when it was lifted, it sort of got a strange mentality. Well, well now, now when I talk to people, uh, it's like uh, they acknowledge that religion isn't really good, they openly admit it is corrupt, yet they completely tolerate it. Some of them are deists or just believe in divine power or something. It Help me out, are you, are you suggesting therefore that the band did actually do some good or it did some bad? I think it actually did something bad. Well, I can't actually judge whether it was really good or was it really bad. I don't think uh, banning religion will ever completely Destroyed. Uh, I, I, I have to agree with you there, and I'm going to pause you if I may. Uh, I totally agree. Um, you're, you're effectively trying to um, create thought crimes. Uh, it's, it's never going to work. You can't stop people believing by an act of uh, law or statute or whatever. Um, I have a thought. Who wants to take this? Sir? 
You know, I, I see some parallels to the banning of religion to prohibition in the United States in around the 1920s when alcohol and alcoholic beverages were prohibited. And, you know, people still found a way to get intoxicated, even though it wasn't legal. People will always find a way to sort of scratch the religious itch, even if it is made illegal. And I don't think it should be. I, I don't think that's the solution. You're not going to legislate how people think, nor should you. I think we have to defeat them in the arena of ideas. We have to suffocate bad information with good information. Robert Green Ingersoll's quote says, the more false we destroy, the more room we make for the true. And I think that's how religion must be approached. Yes, uh, I agree completely. <clears throat> but this is the main point. When you try to talk uh, about religion with people here, they completely ignore the question like it is useless, like it, is, it isn't interesting. They, don't, they do not get really offended like when you say uh, Yahweh isn't real, even if that person is mildly Christian, they don't get offended. They will hear your thoughts, but they don't change. They do not start... You, 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 you seem to be describing, I'm not entirely sure where you um, are calling from, and I'm not inviting you to uh, tell us unless you're prepared to do so, but you seem to be describing um, a position of um, what I would describe as utopia, uh, utter tolerance. Uh, if someone holds a belief, as long as it doesn't interfere with me, I don't have one care at all. I might not look at them with the same regard as I would with others, but hey, they believe something, doesn't affect me, not a problem. Well, I'm not as interested in private belief. I'm interested in those people who are on the front lines, who are moving their private beliefs into an agenda that affects education and science and politics. Yes, that's what I'm getting through. This is when you talk with people one-on-one. -on -one. But if you try, but if there are more of them, like five or six or seven, they do not engage uh, well their religion, they do not force their religion views on you. Yet if you try to point out the bad deeds of ministers or something in our well, in our city, for example, they stop. There's still that uh, going down. They do not let you to start a discussion to point out their crimes, actual crimes. It's like a complete uh, stillness. It isn't utopia. The problems are still here. Look, I have to say, I, I apologize profusely um, because we are now 20 minutes, uh, 28 minutes over time. I, I appreciate the call. Please um, feel free to, to call back on a future show, but um, I'm going to have to end it because our special guest has extended his uh, kindness and courtesy by uh, already 29 minutes. So uh, I am going to have to bring everything to a close. But thank you very much indeed for the call, and please feel free to call on a future show. Uh, I'm going to try and wrap it up now. Um, firstly, by saying a huge thank you to our special uh, guest, Seth Andrews, and as thank I say, when Yay. these videos go up on YouTube, I will include all the links to his podcast, his website, uh, and, and uh, YouTube channel, and so on. Thank you. Thank you very much indeed, Seth. I will come back to you for a closing word in a moment. Uh, Thunderfoot, always a pleasure to have you on the show. 
and a huge thank you to uh, Tony, who's uh, been working way behind the scenes with technical problems, uh, but he's done a very good job. I uh, apologize for the occasional um, glitch in um, cameras being frozen and so on. Um, I'm going to invite first uh, Thunderfoot for uh, closing words, and then I'm going to leave the last word for you, sir. Thunder. Um, it's been great having you on the show, Seth, and I think that you have made some of the best um, video. I mean, you, the professional manufacturer of some of the animated videos that you've done on YouTube is is top notch. Thank you. I echo that, Seth. Thank you very much. Well, last words. When I first joined YouTube, it was you know it was people like Thunderfoot that encouraged me and and helped to sort of embolden me. And so the idea that I'm back here having a conversation with you guys is pretty amazing to me. And, and I, I'm a big, I'm just a, it's not just that you're my friends. I really do respect the work that you do. I love the conversation we're having and I'm, I'm privileged to be a part of it. And I'm also privileged that so many have decided to sort of come along for the ride. And I'm, I, have, I have high hopes for 2013 for the cause of reason. I think it's going to be, a, if nothing else, a very interesting year. Well, um, in March uh, next year, uh, American Atheist Convention in Austin, Texas. I know that you are speaking there. Again, I will include links in the description. Um, I'm hoping to be there myself. I'm very much looking forward to meeting you there if we can. Thank you. On that bombshell, thank you very much indeed, everyone, for uh, joining the show. As ever, uh, it will be posted, hopefully, within about 48 hours on YouTube. Uh, you can also get it on iTunes, and you can also get it from our website, www.magicsemishow.com. Uh, but for now, thank you very much. Oh, I should finish on this one. Uh, our next show uh, is the 30th of December, and we are hoping to make it a Christmas special and invite some of those who have uh, appeared on the show during the course of 2012 to come back. Those that have uh, pretty much confirmed that they will be on the show uh, include David Silverman and Non-Stamp Collector. I'm hoping to get others um, who, as I say, have appeared on the show. In particular, I would love to have Potholder back. Um, hopefully, Concordance will be with us, uh, Thunderfoot, and maybe yourself, uh, Seth. But on that bombshell, thank you, everyone.